One's a pointed message about the dangers of organized crime, the other's a stylistic glorification of gang warfare and violence. Scarface. They remade it. Hi, this is Jacob. And this is Stuart. And welcome to the first, actual first, episode of They Remade It. Hey. Exciting. Yes, very exciting for us. I'm really glad for this because I, you know, the last one was good and all, but it's it felt very businessy. Yeah, and there, was, there weren't any movies in it. Yeah, there are no movies. We, we <laughs> referred to like some, we made some references like, here's a, a type to think of for our various classifications of remakes. Yeah, I talked about Howard the Duck, I think. Yeah, briefly, at, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's up there. Yeah, like you know, quick reminder: this is this is our show. They remade it. We're going to be talking about remakes of movies, and as the opener, you know, shows you, Scarface. Scarface is the first one. Oh my god, has already been leaked. But f- first, let's get the get this out of the way. Oh, yeah. the past week or so, how you been doing? What you been watching? I've been pretty. I haven't watched a whole lot. Rewatched, um, rewatched, you know, a couple classics. I saw. Uh, I actually saw Jurassic Park again, as <laughs> as I'm apt to fucking do. But yeah, you know, just because I'm a, the little fanboy that I am. Um, That's a good movie. <laughs> um, I was aware of the Oscars that happened recently, 2018 Oscars, to firmly date us. Um, yep. Didn't actually <laughs> watch it, as I never do. I, I never Kirk watched. Douglas, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> looks like hell. <laughs> you, sh- you showed me an image of it. It was like, oh my god. It's like... <laughs> 101 years old. Like, there's so many people. You gotta respect that. I mean, yeah. There's so many people in Hollywood that don't make it past, like, 80. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like, hell. It's always surprising when you see someone live that long, like June Foray, when she passed. She was, I don't know the exact age, so I'm spitballing, but she was, like, 97, 98. And she was still doing Looney Tunes voices. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, for the new Looney Tunes shows that were coming out, so. Yeah, I mean, power to her. Yeah. You know, God rest her. People keep working. (laughs) You know, power to her, you know, when she was alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, awkward. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I kept up with the Oscars at least enough to know, you know, Shape of Water did really well, and Del- and Guillermo del Toro, by extension, my current favorite director. Um, still haven't seen Shape of Water, <laughs> I should I, say. I haven't either. I, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend like I have. Yeah, it's, I haven't seen I, a lot of the, the big, the big name ones. I saw Get Out, but that's about it. Yeah, I never do. Yeah. I never see the Best Picture nominees, usually, it, it, and it's not like I go out of my way not to. Yeah. Like, I wanted to see... I saw Argo yeah, d- before before it was at the Oscars. Yeah. I wanted to see Moonlight from, you know, last year, but never mm-hmm. did. Like, I definitely didn't want to see La La Land. Just, it just looked boring. I'm sorry. You didn't care. <laughs> you like, apologized oh. to me for it. I didn't make it. Eh, well, I'm, I'm apologizing to the people who were probably diehard fans of it. For which Die there are La La Land fans. <laughs> La La fans. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much been in my circle. Just mm-hmm. me fanboying over Del Toro as usual. Uh, anything in your circle? Uh, not much. I've been working a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of movies, I honestly haven't seen much, which is I'm already violating my New Year's resolution to watch like <laughs> one new movie a week. I mean, but I saw uh, Moana and Coco. I hadn't seen either. I saw them back to back. Still haven't seen Coco about a week ago. I mean, good. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I love Moana. I love I love the setting and the set pieces and the characters in Moana. Not a fan of the music, uh, I but I love the music in Coco. I, I really mean, do. Still haven't seen, like I said, still haven't seen Coco, but I've, mm-hmm. I've at least heard a lot of the music. It's 
beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to... It's, it part, there were parts of the movies that were kind of hard to watch. Because the main character is a young boy. Yeah. And just the way he sounded, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just a not a very good voice actor. But the way it sounded is like they got an actual child to voice it. And that's always tricky because yeah. children aren't... Uh, Children aren't very good actors. Yeah, in yeah. most not cases, a, and it's not their fault. They're just not everyone can be that that one kid from the room. Like, and I'm not referring to the Tommy <laughs> Wiseau picture. I'm not. I don't know if there is a kid in that one. I mean the the room about the like the kidnapped woman and the kid she has while she's kidnapped. Oh, yeah, it's a dark movie. Panic Room? No, what? <laughs> is that referring to Panic Room? Yes, I'm referring to Panic Room. No, it's it was a. It was a more, um, like the room was, I think it was like an artistic, more artistic piece that came out a couple of years ago. Mm. And like, there's this one, the, there's a kid in it, like, whose actor name I can't remember. Really, really good, actually. Mm. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen various interviews with him. He's actually a really good actor. Really? So not everyone can be him, apparently. I wish I knew his name. I'm not going to bother looking it up. <laughs> I have every capability of doing so and I don't care. We'll get to it. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> when they remake it. Just, when they remake it. They reboot it. Like, you know, like either, you know, 10 years down the line when we've forgotten about this or, you know, two years where it's like, they they remade that. They remade it? Hey! Alternate time. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right. Nice well, catch up. Yeah. So, obviously, from the title and our multiple mentionings, we're doing, you know, the original 1932 version and the 1983 version of Scarface, the in one case, the more what is considered to be a staple of the original uh, American gangster model, and the other one being the original model for high octane violent movies. Yeah, that so defined you know the eighties and going into the nineties and pretty much onward. Um, and we wanted to just you know do our thing with them, trying to kind of break them down, seeing why these this felt. I mean, obviously you know. It's a very popular movie originally, so it's, it makes sense to be remade. Oh yeah, um, it's 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 and it's it hasn't been lost per se, especially mm. not for cinephiles like people that love oh, movies, yeah. but for a lot of mainstream mainstream audiences, especially now, just because that's the way generations shift. A lot of people don't know that the thirty two version exists, even though it's on the AFI's top ten gangster films at number six. Oh yeah, the and people you say Scarface, they know the eighties one. Isn't the new one, like, at number 10 as well? Yeah, the new one's 10. They're both on the list, but the yeah. 32 one's higher up. Yeah. yeah. We'll, but probably, go, we'll th probably go into our personal opinions about that, so yeah. I won't, you know... This isn't even a... This is a comparison of culture. You mm. can see how cultures change and how they use different ethnicities in them as it goes along because oh, yeah. they become more prevalent as a, as a set piece for the generation. You can see the directing style, style differences between... Uh, Howard Hawks for the 32 one and Brian De Palma for the 83 one. Mm -hmm. How they choose to do things and set things up. And like... The know, various ways that they themselves oh, yeah, that they stuck decided. it to the board. It's like, boom! <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing things the way I want to do it. Oh yeah, they... Yeah, it's always my favorite stories hearing about you know how filmmakers and everything just decide to just go beyond jurisdiction of the board of like the board of um, what is it the board of directors or what? Well, I see. Board use, of, board I of say board. Of, I say board of directors because that can apply to the studio heads, but you also got to comply with the FCC. FCC, and, that's it. Like whatever the like yeah. the filmmakers of America are. The executives. Yeah. You know, how, I always, Universal. Yeah, I always love the stories of it where they're just like, hey, you know that thing you told me. 
Um, go F yourself. <laughs> I'm doing it my way. I know a lot of times for TV, what they'll do is they'll put in things that they know are going to get cut mm -hmm. deliberately just so that the other things don't look as bad by comparison and then oh, they yeah. can get them in. Yeah. I, 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 these are some violent freaking movies. Yes, they are. <laughs> oh my God. One, I, I will say one more so than the other. One is way more violent. Oh my. One's darker, but the other one is... Ex I would say excessive. It, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess the entire point of the film is that it's excessive, but you know, we're yeah, getting... it relies on excess. Exactly, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Ah, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, we can... yes, quite. Let's not spoil it just yet. <laughs> <laughs> As we go into our classic, you know, old man British. Start it, Reginald. <laughs> Chauncey, the film. <laughs> Bring me the film. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to episode one of The Studio Has Redone the Picture. So, getting it started right off the bat, sort of comparing the different characters we have. Yeah. Uh, different actors, obviously. Oh, and yeah. there's a whole, there's a big fifty-year difference. And mostly different names. Pretty much all the all the same characters are there. Yeah. You got you got Tony, uh, Montana in one, Camante in the other, mm. and he's played by Paul Mooney in the first one and Al Pacino in the '83 one. Mm. Uh, Minor differences, you know, he's Italian in the original as the classic gangster mob goes, and then Cuban for the Miami setting of the 83 version. He's Cuban, man. <laughs> Cuban, man. He's Even Cuban, Al Pacino man. is very much not yeah. Cuban. <laughs> in fact, uh, you know, fun fact for it, the actor that plays uh, Manny in the 1983 version, he is the only actual Cuban actor in the cast. <laughs> of the entire cast, he's the only Cuban. Pretty yep. underknown at the time. He also hasn't done like anything else. He was in uh, Traffic and The Last Gamble. I know neither of those. So <laughs> I know. I, I think. I think he like. I looked up on his IMDb. I think he showed up on the series Ray Donovan, which oh, which I okay. I at least know of. But that's the most I can see. Right. So you know. But we got we got. <laughs> uh, named Stephen Bauer, by the way. His name's not Stephen Bauer. His name's not, not Manny Rivera. Yeah, no, that's that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the names of people. I'm just going to refer to them as their characters more than anything. Yeah, no, but for... you got your you got your side characters uh, are, are I wouldn't say the same. I wouldn't say the same because their personalities are very different. With the exception cases. of his main, with the exception of the main man, uh, Guino to to Manny, uh, mm -hmm. they they shift around a lot because oh. Angelo and the Angelo is way different from. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't even know. They're, I guess they sort of reference him. I guess an angel. They're not yeah. the same character. I think it's just a name link. Mm, yeah, it's probably paying homage to Angelo, referring him. to a more side character in the original film. Kind of a yeah. kind of a foppish. <laughs> the one who couldn't use a phone. Yeah, he's, he's the attempted <laughs> no, no. The, the attempted secretary of Mister Camante, <laughs> but ends up just being a fop. Poor boy. <laughs> the real MVP of the whole thing. <laughs> You got uh, sisters, and you got mother. Yep, we got uh, Cheska in the original, and who's what was the name? Uh, Gina. Gina, Cheska and Gina. You know, for comparison, for the sister, and then mother, who? Mama and mama. Mama and mama. <laughs> That's her name, mama. <laughs> mama Montana. Mama mia, mama mia. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> no, no. Oh, who? But who else do we even have? Like, um, there's the there's the love interests. In yeah, both. Elvira and Poppy. Poppy uh, for the thirty two, and Elvira for the for the eighties version. 
not terribly different, but there's a distinct there's a attitude. distinct different difference in how they how they incorporate themselves into the plot. Yeah, and like they they represent some they represent a lust for Tony's character, but they do it in very different ways. Even though they both show off and are they both show up and are standoffish, mm-hmm. the way they evolve is way different. Oh yeah, like, you know, eighty three being... Tony marrying. <laughs> marrying uh, Elvira and Poppy and, more than anything, just being kind of a a general flirt up until the end, where you know, just it really doesn't go anywhere. It's just kind of like she's hey, sort of there. She's sort of there. I definitely I like her more as the character because she seems a bit more down to earth. Yeah. I wonder if that's supposed to be a parallel for like to Tony's sister, because those are the those are the two women that he interacts with: his sister and Poppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to a lesser extent, Mama. But she's, well, she's, yeah, more, she's, she's like, more, you ruined her! She's more just a foil to... Everything you touch! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're bad like you! God, I don't think Mama even shows up again, save for her one scene in the 1983 version. Right. She I'm shows up. Mama. She shows up twice, at least, in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Lovo, comparing yep. him to Frank Lopez. Those are both uh, Tony's... At least... Tony's boss... That ends up sort of contributing to his, his his work, like sending him out on assignments and getting him yeah, upper probably, rank. It's the first guy he's kind of ingratiated under. Yeah. Or really, I guess in the first case, in the first movie's case, the only guy he's ingratiated under. Under he has yeah. the he has the um, who's the Colombian the Bolivian drug dealer? Oh, I don't remember his name. Omar. Omar. That was it. Mm-hmm. I think. I I think so. I don't. Omar was either him or. Or the other guy. You want to check real quick? Yeah, I'll check. Going off of that, while he looks at that, the 32 one had a lot more characters just in general. Because... Oh, yeah. The way they compare... uh, That are integral to the plot. Because... There's there's a lot of fluff characters in the... uh, Right. In in the newest one. Uh, Howard Hawks' movie has... uh, Guarino... Guarino... Ben Guarino... Carried directly over from the book. Mm -hmm. uh, The Armitage Trail book. And he is the the main police officer... On this case, not the chief, but sort of one of the head inspectors that deals the most with Tony mm-hmm. and his interactions, and he's directly integral to not only the plot but the ending. Oh yeah, both of them the 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 first one and the cut ending, and he's not in the new one at all. There's yeah. not there's not even a real link to Guarino's character because the cops don't play any role. Oh yeah, the cops are all but absent. They have there's a bust that the feds do. But that kind but, of more just sets up for the ending. Exactly. All of his dealings are less to do with the cops and more to deal with the drug cartel. Mm-hmm. And also in the the original one, you have Gaffney, under and O'Hara. Though O'Hara doesn't share a lot, like screen time oh, yeah. for the movie. Uh, and those are the rival gang. I and O'Hara... I guess you can parallel that to the drug cartel, kind of. Did O'Hara but... even actually show up on screen? I don't think he ever does. I don't think so. No, yeah, he's just ki- he's, he's his actually killed there. off screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but those are that's kind of the relation for that. Mm. And also, it was um, Omar. It's, it is Omar. Okay. Yes, it is Omar Suarez. Wanted to double check. Yes. With that, and Alejandro Sosa. Alejandro, so- Jesus. Alejandro Sosa in like, the nineteen eighty three one. He is. Uh, <laughs> he's the one that sends Tony on that assignment to. Uh, to keep the word on his on his deals from getting out, right? Yeah, but that kind of you know, that leads us nicely, at least, into you know the difference of setting between the two. Obviously, oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, 
the characters pretty much stay the same, but their main difference being one is set in, you know, 1930s era Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah, in 1930s Chicago. era Chicago, and kind of based off of a lot of different crimes of the era. The other one in the 1980s of Miami. Yeah. Right during the, uh... Not you know, just Miami. There's globetrotting in oh, this yeah. one. Yeah, it goes all <laughs> over. everywhere. Like, they go to Bolivia, they go to New York... <laughs> and you know, and obviously, and obviously, back to Miami. It's just... The thirty in the 30s one, there's there's period of time where he's gone, but they don't it doesn't they really don't care. It. Yeah, they don't really show why where he where he's going. They talk about it, but it doesn't really and it doesn't really matter specifically mm-hmm. where he's gone. It's just the fact that he is gone. It's it sets up the it sets up a time difference. Yeah, because that also sets up events that transpire later on down the road in the movie. Right. Yeah. The big difference between these two is. The is the really the setting because that kind of lets everything mm-hmm. else grow from it. And I think you you mentioned you 1983 version was actually meant to be in Chicago, but from what I've read, yeah, it was supposed to be in Chicago, but there were some budgetary issues. Yeah, and so they stuck to Miami, and actually, I guess it kind of evolved, you know, a different story from that. They kind of, which is actually really impressive when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, that they took a completely different political spin on it which i I, i'm glad i would rather have this than a direct remake it wouldn't work unless it was a a period piece yeah and that's not really a de palma thing yeah and i'm trying to imagine the kind of stylistic thing they went with with the 1983 version but they kept it in chicago i couldn't i don't think they could pull that off it would be it would be strange yeah to say the least yeah just the whole you know vibe of the city is much different than just the entirety of miami having been there myself well, if you if you sort of think about it too, the '30s Chicago gives off a very dark 1930s vibe. Oh yeah, just the fact <clears throat> that the city. If you go there now and see those buildings, it gives off a 1930s vibe. You go to Miami, it gives off a it's, 1980s vibe. They are the perfect Miami settings. Miami is basically like if you took one of those world's fairs, you know, you know, the world of the future fairs, and it, like, grew into a city. That's what <laughs> Miami is, and it feels like that all the time. They're great set pieces. Oh, they're amazing. For, for their respective movies, and they really paint a picture of the time that can't be, it can't really be broken. Yeah. It, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, I, I love the style of, of the 1983 one, but I think... I also just love the grounding of the the original. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I gotta say I, I <laughs> it, it's easy to say, but I like the shadows and the darkness that play into effect in the thirty thirty two version. And you have mm-hmm. to be careful when you're talking about black and white movies, talking about shadows, because it's really easy to do shadows <laughs> in a black and white movie. <laughs> like, they, but there's, it, it's so commonplace that people do shadows well, and the director's probably just like, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> but you, but you can feel it more so in that movie that that oh, it yeah. was intentional and not just a product of the time. Oh yeah, so with, much with of the it. shadows and the darkness and the silhouettes in some scenes, like they they serve a purpose for being there. It's not just because it's in black and white that you notice it. Yeah, so much of it is kind of meant to be kind of restrained in a way. It's kind of a way of obscuring things. It's mm-hmm. meant to be a dark tale of violence. Right. They play than... with shadows too. The first mm-hmm. kill in the 32 version. You only ever Paul see Mooney kills Louis, uh, Louis, I don't know the, the actor, but Louis Castillo mm-hmm. or Castillo? I, I, probably, it's it's probably two Castillo. L's. With Italian it's probably Castillo. Okay, you know more about that than me. I mean, I, I, assume, but... I mean, you, I mean, 
<laughs> Anyways, they do that entire. They do that entirely through shadows. Yeah, they use the shadows for that. So, mm-hmm. and I mean that that's also a way to get around showing violence on screen because it was a lot stricter at the time. But mm-hmm. it's still you. It's still utilizing that to its advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that leads us nicely into kind of talking about you know we're gonna probably break down a bit of the plot comparisons. You know, the mm-hmm. very the very opening of the 1932 version basically leads right into a murder. <laughs> It's, there's it's a this free... big party. The original MVP <laughs> character for me, uh, the janitor, yep. it's going around afterwards. It's just like <laughs> just sweeping up. up this classic, you know, early 30s party where it's, you know, all these white streamers and everything. There's like the party hats and all that sort of stuff. Very much, you know, very much, you know, grooving and boozing that yeah. you'd imagine that sort of thing. Um, it just, it goes off, you know. A couple of big st- big time gangster guys are talking about you know all the various generic stuff that they talk about. The <laughs> gangster things. Gangster things. Hey, you do that gangster thing. Yeah, I do that gangster thing. I'm a gangster. <laughs> and then he gets shot. Yeah, he gets shot. This guy. Can you big, believe it? And his name is actually Big Louie. Was Big Louie was the character. Big Louie was the. It was a big boss character. Big Lewis. <laughs> Large Lewis. <laughs> Rotun Lou. <laughs> Well, he, he gets killed. Yeah, yeah, like, he's he's killed by our, you know, at least it's heavily implied, you know, that a is he's killed by our main character, Tony Camante, as, you know, as we stated, but you only ever see his shadow. They right? play it all through shadows. Yep. And that's, that's the first big difference that we can, or the contrast that we can show between the two movies, because when you're looking at the Howard Hawks version and how it does that first kill with the shadows, mm-hmm. one, it does it really fast. Yeah. And two, it, there's a lot of darkness at play. It, it shows it through the the silhouettes, and you hear the whistling, which is his which is his signal, yes. which I love. It's that a, haunting whistle. It's, I, I wish I knew what the song he was whistling, or if it's just a little tune he has in his head. I don't know. Which I feel like that would be even freakier if it's just some tune he always has going, because the dude is insane, yeah. <laughs> as you know, later scenes will show. Right. But <laughs> you you have that, and then you look at the '80s one, which. Uh, yeah. Takes a long time to start up. Oh they get gosh. put. They get put into the into what's it called? Freedom Town. Freedom Town. Yeah. Freedom Town. It's like it the, starts. Up, the whole movie starts off with like a five minute newsreel. You know, just Dateline, or you know, to, to, to kind of set up the situation. Credits over boats full of people wearing like, clothes, like, like colorful, vibrant clothing. Like all the banana boats bringing people over to Cuba, like you right. Know, and that political first prisoners and everything are allowed to come to America. And that first kill. That go by, that goes by like quick once it gets to it. It's oh, just yeah. like it's there's just not like... really there is build up and there's chaos because this it's like a riot going on and he's running around like frantically and then just bam. It's just like he runs out of thing and then all of a sudden Tony Mont- gets him from the back. Yeah, Montana just comes in and like he doesn't get him from the back. He just kind he kind of sucker punches him like with a knife. He kind of walks out the tent. Montana's well, that, well, isn't playing. he? Isn't he facing the one way and from the other side comes in Tony and then he turns around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he just, he, just like, he boom, surprises him. As, like, man, he's yelling, Liberta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, for a little bit, I thought that was going to end up being kind of their equivalent to whistling. is like, like someone saying Liberta or something before their kills. But it's like, nah, they're not that He deep. doesn't really have a thing outside of going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. He, he just gets mad. He, he's mad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Even when he has everything, he's mad. Yeah, there's never a point when he's really... I don't think there's ever a point in this movie where he's genuinely happy. <laughs> Maybe when he gets his green card. Um, but yeah, like the original... 
the, like the original opening versus the new one's opening really just immediately establishes the big, not necessarily thematic differences, but even just the cinematic differences between these mm -hmm. guys. Because the original one, as many older movies are, there's basically no music at all. It's basically all silent, save for, you know, Camonte's uh, whistling and just that single gunshot and then boom, it's over. Right. Whereas in the newer one, it's just, it's loud, it's music, it's like, it's like that, that classic 80s movie is like the kind of build up thing meant to get, kind of really put everyone on edge and it's just it's an assault on the senses by comparison mm -hmm. that's not even a style thing too that's like a that's like a period thing yeah like a lot of movies from those time periods you can compare and i think that's a big culture difference but it sets up the tone for the rest of the movie mainly too oh, because yeah. it's so calm and reserved for the howard hawk scarface mm. uh in how it does things and when i say calm and reserved i know what movie i'm talking oh, about yeah, it's like... <laughs> but the way they the way they do the big kills i'm not even considering the drive-bys because that is chaos but mm. the, the important characters how they how they do them in and get rid of them there's a lot of quietness mm -hmm. there's there's darkness there's shadows and it's really dramatic but in the 80s one it's chaos, it's vibrant, there's things everywhere, there's blood, which adds red to, like, blue and yellow backgrounds. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that was, and that's, that's kind of a very distinct thing, like like you mentioned, just of the, of that period. If there's one thing the seven, like, late 70s and 80s does well in movies, it's chaos. Mm -hmm. Like, like one of my favorite scenes, um, one of my favorite movies, really, uh, in Trading Places, is that ending scene where they're on the trading floor, and you're just watching... You know, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy genuinely trying to, like, act like, you know, traitors and everything. And it's insane. They're getting, like, jostled around. They're tossing paper and everything mm -hmm. everywhere. The whole scene just exudes this kind of energy that you don't get in older movies older than it. Even nowadays. Like, mm -hmm. nowadays, scenes, like, scenes feel very choreographed where it's still chaotic but don't have that really raw feeling that right. a lot of these older movies have and i wonder if that plays into a bit of the comedy that we feel with the 1983 yeah. version because <laughs> chaos because chaos is inherently funny yeah exactly uh, and especially the way it's portrayed and just how it being, insane it is in this one especially right. it being over the top definitely helps but i think the chaos is, it, it does portray add to some of that as well yeah and of course you know we have a bit of that in the original one as well during, you know, as you mentioned, the drive-by scenes where, mm -hmm. you know, where Comanche's just going to town, just dozens of murders just driving by. It's just, it's almost, it's almost, like, excessive even by, like, modern standards. <laughs> like, when it, more and more I think it's about it. too much. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> it's like people crashing in a row. It's people dying in the middle of the streets. My God. <laughs> Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. The humanity. Then from the intro of both of these pieces, it really, it leads into what really makes up the bulk of both the movies, that being Tony's ambition and rise to power through, obviously, excess amounts of violence, and in the 83 version, the addition of excessive drugs. Yes. <laughs> His complete disregard for what people above him tell him to do. Just outright, <laughs> just, I don't care what you tell me to do, and somehow it ends out pretty well. <laughs> For him, for him, yeah. <laughs> for a while, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just you know, in the first one, he's told, "Hey, don't go after the guys on the north side." Immediately goes after the guys on the north side and just, just decimates everything. And Lovo, Lovo, his boss, he's just like, "What did I tell you? What did I tell you to do?" And you did it anyways. He kind of <laughs> like Lovo kind of acts almost more like a weird father figure in a, in a sort of way, whereas the um, 
you know, Frank, Frank Lopez in the newest one, he's more, he really is more of a boss. He's more just kind of like a, guys, friggin' Camante, I mean, uh, Montana. Yeah. Montana. <laughs> which, one, which one are you? <laughs> we can't get confused. <laughs> Montana, you're messing up. But yeah, for, for, uh, for Lovo's character in the 30s one, he, he, he really is like that father, that parental figure to Tony. Yeah. But also, he, he's more so worried about himself. Oh yeah, he's very. He, he's worried about Tony because Tony's his guy, but he he cares more about himself. He keeps his point. He keeps making is I'm not ready. I'm not ready to take him on. We then, including all of them, are unprepared to fight with O'Hara and his men. Oh yeah, and he's built up as very kind of snivelly and everything, and you know, like Lova's character is just kind of weak willed, which I guess is meant to make us uh, empathetic towards Tony's cause a bit, where it's like. You know, Tony's the go-getter. He's getting stuff done versus the, you know, weak-willed, you know, scrawny Lobo. Versus, yeah. Versus, like, Frank versus Frank just being kind of a prick. <laughs> he, he's just, he really is. He's just kind of a douche. <laughs> like, wait. So he's doing, if we cut to that, he's doing, they're both, okay, both Tonys. Yeah. are doing all of these things for their respective bosses. Right. Whether it be drug trades in the 80s one going with going and meeting you know whoever Omar Sosa whatever in and Bolivia. That, in Bolivia, yeah, for these drug trades and talking about business and incorporations. <laughs> to Camante just sort of doing whatever he wants. And it works he out almost well, immediately yeah. just starts doing whatever he wants. Yeah. It, it, Tony Montana for a little bit plays along. Yeah, he can't. He, he, can, he, he really only establishes. He only starts getting kind of big for his britches when Omar tells him, "Hey, I trust you more than this other guy." Like when he you know hangs the police informant guy. Yeah, it's like great, look up there. Great scene, by the way. Just that hit the helicopter flying off with what looks like a pinata, just wee <laughs> <laughs> dangling across. Does he fly across the sky so, dangling from a rope? It's so ridiculous, but awful. Like, yep, that's what happens. So, like, that, oh, that's... Across Bolivia. That's really the kind of time when um, Tony starts kind of becoming more ambitious from that point forward, it seems like. Because, you know, he sets up the deal basically by himself. Yeah. Without, you know, Lopez's approval. Um, Which I guess that is the point. Yeah. From that uh, that trade in that deal in Bolivia is the point where he starts going off on his own and doing his own things, and that can directly correlate to uh, Camante fighting with uh, starting a fight with the North Side. Yeah, Camante really comes across as between the two of them. Um, Montana comes off very much as just ambitious and tired of not being not having a better life. Kamani just comes off as crazy. He wants things. Yeah. They, they both desire to have things, yeah. but from a di very different standpoint. And they frame it with the mother and the daughter. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, they, the, their families don't have much. They're poor. They're immigrants. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> on one side, you can, you can see it more so on Tony's side. At least for a little while. Uh -huh. Or, sorry, Montana's <laughs> side. I forget they're both named Tony. Yeah. We're you can see it from Tony Montana's side a lot more that he actually is like looking for that better life to have more things, and then he eventually loses himself. Camante, nah. you can barely see that he just he just like kinda... immediately like he's so smarmy and smug with the police. He's just it really does come like he's an asshole. He's an a he's an asshole, and just like it really just comes across as outright psychotic in some cases. I mean, yeah. the, the 
obviously Montana is is nowhere near a, a full deck, but <laughs> you know it really they really just it, it really just kind of comes across as um, you know with Paul Mooney's acting style to play Camante, it really just comes across as cold and callous and just he anytime he's smiling, it's more for he's laughing. It's kind of more like a smile of laughing at his own joke more than anything, rather right. than he's enjoying himself for and, any other reason. And none of the other characters in the movie are ever having any fun. They're yeah. all playing catch-up. Like, why are you having such a good time? Yeah, they're all just being, they're all just getting whiplash from Kamante doing these crazy things. Whereas Montana, like, he, he has Elvira laughing in the car, and... Mm-hmm. They're out on the beach that one day, and they're having a good time. They, really random scene, though. <laughs> right. There's a lot of him actually having fun with other characters, enjoying deals. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. He he seems to be in. He seems to be a part of the joke. Yeah. Whereas Camante is like pull. He's pulling the strings the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tony uh, Montana acquires the strings. Yeah. He he gets them after <laughs> over time. You know, just through his own desires, but. Camante just decides, I'm doing this my way, and it just it but it just happens to not blow up in his face. It yeah. actually ends up working out pretty well. Yeah. You he, know, a he, couple, you know, a couple assassination attempts notwithstanding. There there's a little bit of blowback because uh, with the, he kill he kills O'Hara. Yep. Lovo's like, I told you not to kill O'Hara, and then Boris Karloff gets pissed. <laughs> and then he goes on a rampage. Oh Boris Karloff for what little time he's in this movie. <laughs> That's, Boris that's, Karloff's that's character. That's the actor that plays uh, Frankenstein, by the way, in the original Frankenstein movie. Plays Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster, I should say. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes, thank you. He I'm plays sorry. Gaffney in the 32 Scarface. Yep. The, and um, he, he's the, un- he's he's like the underling of O'Hara. Yeah. The, the North sort of like an, a direct underling to him, though. Yeah. From what I could gather, uh, Gaffney is to O'Hara as Camante is to Lovo. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, is there any... and they both end up doing the same thing. Like, yeah, he eventually Kamante gets rid of Lovo, and yep. then he takes his usurps his position. Whereas on Gaffney's side, he usurps his position, but he's not the one responsible for O'Hara's absence. Yeah, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> of course, then he, you know, and then Gaffney tries to retaliate for O'Hara's murder, doing this massive drive-by scene through a cafe. Great scene, by the yeah. way. Just, just some wanton destruction that you don't get very often in older films. Um, it's which you know leads our our leads into the insanity that is the drive-by scenes on Camante's part when he gets his the Tommy gun. Oh yeah! Didn't you mention um, this was the first film to feature a machine gun or something like that? I think so. It, it was either the first or it was one of the first. Yeah, is what I gathered from my facts. It was one of the first ones to actively, you know you know, feature a machine gun in such a prominent role, you know. Yeah. Then Kamanji just goes on his counter, um, his counter-retaliation spree of just taking out everybody he can Every see. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, which apparently, you know, ties into a lot of, you know, the movie itself is based off a lot of real-life gang, you know, gang violence occurrences. Like, there's a scene... You know, saying, like, oh, these people were killed on Valentine's Day. My God. And that's meant to be, like, you know. The, the Valentine's Val- Day Massacre. Valentine's Day Massacre, right. Right. And then, I think Scarface is meant to actually to directly refer to Al Capone. Yes. So, it is. Yeah. That 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 is who Armitage Trail based the book on. Yeah. So. Uh, but. Which, obviously, it's like, you know, it's meant to, like, 
the the original one we haven't talked about it too much really is it it from the outset says this is meant to be a PSA as to the violence of organized crime. It's right, that and you can see literally that, at the very beginning. You can see that in the bulk of the middle of both of these films is oh, yeah. what's happening. It's just looking back at the eighties version. If mm-hmm. if we're talking about these these subtle comparisons, it doesn't really have that. It doesn't have this yeah. Gaffney character to interact with. The Bolivian drug cartel that they're dealing with sort of usurp, usurps that position. It takes its place, but there's not the there's not the the connection there that we yeah. want. It's they kind I of, feel the only kind of connection is like I felt like you know the Bolivian drug cartel people seem like the only other gang like gang force that's as opposed to you know Tony either Tony's um, gang. You know, in in Montana's case. This is the only other force that's actually directly opposed to him. Right. Because the there's, police aren't there. There's a few times the feds interact. There's that shootout. That that creepy-ass clown gets killed. Oh, yeah. At like that, that, uh, that nightclub. But that's, but that's when Frank tries to assassinate him. You're right. But, the, but weren't the feds involved in that? that they were he, involved. He's trying to set him up. Was, there, there was like a detective there who was kind of yeah. in Frank's pocket. They were they were wrapping that around yeah. together. So like there really wasn't there, but yeah, you're right. There really is no direct connection to the North Side guys or this or O'Hara or Gaffney in the 1983 version. It just kind of they have they just have this drug cartel to deal with, which and then that just kind of leads into you know come um, into Montana establishing the deal himself and immediately aligning himself with Omar. And that's what leads Frank to try to assassinate him. Right. It, it cuts straight to that assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's all this other buildup, which I guess if you're if you're saying that the drug cartel and the North Side gang are one in the same, they're representative of each other, then they both get the same thing done. It just feels like more happens in the '30s one. Yeah, more of it's just direct in that time period. More of it's just direct, like it's more direct violence rather than the. Kind of more po- almost political style right. of the drug cartel setup, but that ta- and that takes us into the the assassination oh, yeah, attempt like the, on on the on, part of Johnny Lovo for the '30s one and Frank Lopez in the '83 one, and yep. which it's like they're both there. <laughs> <laughs> like what you, you have a thought here? <laughs> I don't know that shootout scene in the. That shootout scene is probably the highlight moment for me in the in the Brian De Palma movie, the nineteen eighty three one. I, I guess so much so much is so much is happening for such a long movie. Mm-hmm. It's the only part. It's it's the only point while I was watching the movie where I wasn't feeling exhausted or tired mentally. Okay. Even the ending, I was I was not hitting there, but yeah. I don't know. It, it, like, it had it, me on edge, and I was actually excited. I was like, ooh, what's happening? This is it great. Was, it was some good buildup. Like, it's, you know, being in the, the whole club and everything, the weird clown. The that's, creepy gets, clown that's, that's like performing. That's, like, like, a distraction or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's so... It's one of the few times in which the, the, the 1983 one actually has some restraint. It's like, it actually takes the time, you know, we're seeing the assassins lining up their shots and everything, and then the slow build up and then just this bang 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 really quick shootout it's really the only time i can think of where it builds up that much versus you know the immediate next scene where he actually ends up counter murdering frank lopez right but in the the 30 in the, the 30s, 30s ones doesn't have much build up for the shootout it it's just, really just you know lowell being pretty obviously peeved 
that, yeah. that you know, Kamanse has gone behind his back and done all this violence and gotten so much attention on himself. And he is not happy. And then just attempts to kill him with um with a drive by yeah. by some, some other guys. Right at his home actually. It was right wasn't it like right outside his house? Or I something? think so. It was or or something the like office. That. Or like the office. Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. And then, you know. Both but then from there both both movies pretty much fall off exactly the same. It's one of the few times where it's like point for point almost exactly the same. It's Tony in both cases, you know, hides out at some, you know, friendly, you know, some friendly building with a couple of his boys and he has one of them arrange to call his boss to be like, "Hey, we didn't get him," so that he can catch him in the act and say and confirm he was actually attempted to assassinate him. The only difference being the detective was present in the 1983 version. Mm-hmm. who really held no major role in the movie I'm trying to think no. of. I'm trying to think if there's any point he adds anything. <laughs> Does he? Like, like I don't think so. Even the crap he, he talk even the crap he talks about it's more just like when he shows up in the the the, um, the club before the assassination attempt it's basically just saying some just generic stuff about oh you can pay me off and I'll be and everything will be just fine. Or it's like but then he I mean he kind of just you know, shakes it like Tony shakes his finger at him, and then kind of that's that's that, mm-hmm. and then he gets immediately murdered in the next scene he shows up in. It's like, what was the point of it? <laughs> there wasn't really anything established because we know in the entire film the cops basically do nothing, right? Like they're not like there's the only time we actually see the cops are that detective and in the very beginning where he's getting brought in through customs. They're really not present anywhere else, which is weird to think about. That's true. I I didn't really think about that. Yeah, the like, lack of inclusion. They're, they're like they're just completely absent throughout the entire thing. Versus the them being such a huge force in the '30s version, which I'm sure is the point. Right. It's meant to be like the police force are the only things stopping these horrible these horrible people from destroying society. These bad bad men. Whereas in the modern one, it's like saying, yeah, even the cops suck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, taking us taking us further into the assassination of the boss character yeah this is really where tony gets his chance to shine mm-hmm. you see him as a character this this is the character's true personality regardless of what you've seen throughout the movie and this is the jumping off point for, for everything else that happens in both movies it ties it up <laughs> and the way they handle it is so different but also indicative of their characters yeah. for paul mooney's tony camonte character mm-hmm he approaches Lovo and he's like, "Hey, uh, uh, he's basically trying to get him to admit that he he, he, he killed he, him, yeah, but it, it's a yeah, it's a setup because in both in both movies they have a guy call and say, uh, "Hey, we didn't get him, we we didn't get him, or something like that." And he's like, and then whenever they're like, "Oh, who was that?" Like, the oh, the boss is like, oh, nothing, or wrong number, and then they know. And then Tony, both Tonys know, oh, you're lying to me. Mm. And and that's how they get them. But the way Kamani goes about it in the 32 version, again, as we've talked about, is so subdued, and there's the whistle, oh, yeah. and there's and the can, X's and that appear. Dis- and you can distinctly see how uncomfortable Johnny Lobo is with it. Like, <laughs> Osgood he, Perkins, like, dude, the actor for Johnny Lobo great facial expressions oh, yeah. all throughout especially in that scene you see his face drop you can feel it like I he's love trying it. like he's pouring a drink and his hand is like very subtly shaking it's not enough to be like you know comedically shaking or anything it's just like you can de- definitely tell wow he's yeah he, he's genuinely scared for his freaking life so assassination attempt in the 80s one 
That's my favorite scene. That scene with Johnny Lobo yeah. in the 32 one, that is my favorite scene in the movie. His that's, unease that's and the, just the whistling in the background, mm-hmm. like which we as the audience know at this point, that that is Tony going to kill someone. Yeah. And like I'm sure even Johnny Lobo knows that because he knows yeah. Johnny's, you know, I mean, he knows Tony's freaking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, like, he, like oh, he, no. It's like, well, I've done done it now, haven't I? <laughs> You're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> but Al Pacino. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> Al Pacino in Al the 80s freaking, one. Al freaking Pacino. He like, plays Pacino. it off. Yep. He, he's visibly angry, though. Yeah. He, he doesn't even try to hide it. He He's just angry at... He's angry at Frank, and he and he's like, answer the phone, whatever, and he gets it across, across and then just starts yelling. And it's just constant yelling until he has he like has he him entered, killed. Like, he first enters the room with his guys. He's waving a gun around. He's got his arm in a sling all bloodied and everything. He does not do anything subtly. No, he just does not. Not a thing. The excess just... of the late 70s, early 80s is well alive. In Al Pacino. In Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> we also get to see the uh, main difference between the characters of the bosses and how they react to this. Mm-hmm. And that that's good characterization, too, because the entire time they've been talking down to Tony, telling him what to do and telling him where to go from this and how they react to his sudden rise. Oh, yeah. Just this, this meteoric, uh, you know, rise to power right underneath their, his thumb. And now they're standing there with weapons. Yeah. It's how, like, how are they going to react? Yeah. And this is even a big difference with how each scene does it, because I don't think Tony doesn't even... Um, um, Kamante doesn't even kill Johnny Lobo. He has his his buddy. He has his um. Yeah, buddy. because he's Guido like I'm. You have you don't. He's like I don't kill people, or I never kill nobody. He's like yeah, you have other people kill for you, like me. And, and so he has. And he immediately establishes himself. Yeah. I'm the boss now because someone else is doing the killing. Yeah. Versus Montana just straight up shooting him, <laughs> just being like I don't care. <laughs> I hate you. I'm done with this. <laughs> And hats off to Robert Loggia, dude, because <laughs> even who who was Frank Lopez mm-hmm. in the Brian De Palma one, like yeah. he jumps straight into that pleading for his life thing. But it's it it is really good acting that like blubbering sort of yeah really gush really about it. it. Just don't don't do it and like I'll, I'll disappear and all that sort of st- like all that sort of stuff. Really, go away. Like like the um, Johnny Lovo kind of tries to just, like keep a bit of his composure not a lot of it but comparatively it's more there's some subtlety in in his voice yeah it's more like you know johnny i've done all this stuff for you and all that sort of stuff like what is this it really kind of it really hammers home the the father figure thing to it because i think Camante really does have a lot of respect for johnny lobo Mm -hmm. and him not even you know pulling trigger or even watching johnny lobo get killed he walks out before Mm -hmm. you know guido shoots him and so I kind of always got that air that, you know, for as callous as Camante is, he had still had a bit of respect left. Whereas Montana, like, he was, he wanted everything that Lopez had and he was standing in his way. And so right. it was a very, you know, just heartless, cold, just end to it. Which is cool because, because mm. the way we were framing the characters, both Tonys earlier, we were saying Camante is more of a psychopath, whereas Pacino comes from this household. Uh-huh. The This one scene... And then lead-on sort of reverses the roles for the rest of the movie. Yeah. The lead-up to this point, Camonti's the psychopath, and Montana is sort of the... Kind of the underling going the on. The underling that's like, I haven't I, I haven't had these things. 
after this assassination, those rules reverse. Camante yeah. gets gets sort of softer. He, he he really becomes he becomes kind of there really is kind of a weird maturing thing to it. Yeah, it's like you know he establishes you know I'm better than this you know psychotic killer. I can run things now. Whereas you know Montana's like. I'm better than this underling. I can be a fucking psychopath. I am better than the world. <laughs> the world is mine. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I saw it on the Goodyear blimp. Thematic parallels and stuff. Ugh. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I guess I kind of, I'm trying to just think of how the line applies differently in each movie. Where the world is yours and the first one kind of feels a bit more ironic in a way it almost seems like a message more to the audience than anything right it's like the world is yours so don't take this these terrible criminals because if these both of these movies are supposed to be messages like anti-gun violence and anti-gang warfare but yeah. but that message having that message so pr i would i say predominantly mainly because it's in the one scene in both movies sure but it closes out the movie it's the final shot in both movies yeah just, you that's know, that the, message to Tony and a message to the audience. The world is yours. Is that supposed to be a bad thing? Maybe. I think it's bad in context, but it's the quote itself isn't inherently bad. I guess not. It, it's just it's such it's, a it's a sort of vague term for it all. It seemed like the quote was more omnipresent in the thirty two version because it's very directly pointed out. Like you know, it's a sign that's across the way from Tony's apartment. That's you know that's yeah. for a travel agency or something. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, directly tells Poppy about it. It's like, oh, you know, that thing, it's the thing that's, you know, pushing me on to really be better for myself. Whereas it just kind of pops up in the 83 version where, you know, Montana yeah. sees him on a Goodyear blimp right after he's right. murdered um, Lopez. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, Elvira's, you know, getting her stuff to move out. That's the weird thing, too, is that I guess in the 30s one, it's more it's more predominant even if you don't see it because it being outside his window, whenever he's there, you know that it is also there. Yeah. It being on a blimp, you have no idea where that thing is. Yeah, it's just kind of like... It's, it's, it's just, just a like, message that flashes to him. He's like, oh, that's inspiring. It's like, it means something. I have done the right thing. <laughs> I, I remember back to high school English, man. That means something to me. Yeah. Me watching all those American movies where I learned English and stuff. <laughs> like I told in the, in the opening and stuff. Whatever. But, um... But yeah, like, and just like, I guess the presence of the quote is meant to be, because, you know, well, like, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that quote before. It's meant to be like, it's kind of like an early version of YOLO. God help us. God, yeah. God help me the... for dating myself on that one. Um, but yeah, it's meant to be like, you know, do, do the best life you can because the world, there is no real barrier for what you can do. The world is yours. You're allowed to yeah, take go it. out and, you know, enjoy life. Take Whereas, you, you know. Yeah, and then whereas Tony, in, in both cases, basically went, oh, so that means everything belongs to me. I am the king of the world. I should go out and take it, right? That's yeah. what you're saying? It's like... Just and the his, audience goes, no, Tony! It's just this twist in his mind, and then how it's, you know, the ending shot in both cases, well, technically, you know, two of the three cases, but we'll get into that later, um, where, you know, he's, you know, where, in which, you know, Tony gets killed later, and it's the last shot. It's meant to just kind of hammer home to the point... Is the world really yours, Tony? Is it? Mm -hmm. You're laying, you know, you're laying dead on the ground or in the water in this case. It's not. <laughs> you've, you know, you've deeply twisted this entire meaning. You've ruined it. Yes. <laughs> the world is also the people that just killed you. It's it's theirs too. Yeah. <laughs> and they've decided. Um, 
but yeah, like that's that was pretty much like it really like you know from the assassination attempt and leading onward and just him shifting personalities in both cases mm-hmm. one, to a more controlled like like more a more controlling and kind of oppressive kind of force versus the manic thing guy that he was before yeah um in the 30s case and then the just hungry for power loses it just loses it like between the like mountains of cocaine he's doing now and and the best frame for that Uh is is showing their showing their control and they're taking over after their boss is dead Mm-hmm. It, it also frames how their character is shifted because in Montana's case, yep. they have a push it to the limit montage <laughs> where he gets married and gets a mansion with security and guns and just and like he's doing he's doing these massive bank deals and he's getting a he got a, like a salon for his sister that has all his names on everything power this hunger that he 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 is living in excess and you can see that shift in this montage in the thirties one in Camante's case he gets his name on the door. And he's like, it's they more scrape like a, off logo Lovo and put Tony Camonte there, and it's like it's more like a you know he's kind of like a more business mogul at this point. It, he's more just kind of like it feels you know, corporate, like yeah. a scene from Wall Street. Yeah, it's like a it's like it's, oh this is my office now. I'm in control. Yeah, it's like all these guys like I got to give out severance packages. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call the magazines I loan to my Tommy gun. <laughs> Still corporate. Still corporate. <laughs> oh, but you can, but you can see the, yeah. sh- you can even like, see the shift in the, in, in how the movies portray that. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting to see the difference in them, and I, I, I can't imagine it was a conscious choice for the remake to have that kind of a shift of, like, difference in personalities, but it's really interesting when you actually notice it. Which I really didn't notice it before until we kept pointing it out. I was like, "Yeah, they completely swap." <laughs> it's like, and he's like, he's living in this excessive mansion in the right. AK version. He's got all these security cameras, and he's in this massive tub and everything that has a bed in the bathroom. It's like, what the crap is happening? I don't. Uh, and, I, then, and then like I, he has his wife and everything. But even in the original one, he never actually gets the like Lovo's woman, Poppy. No, he, he doesn't. She's always just kind of. Like she's there, and I think you know I can't. I like like I said, I like her character a bit more. She's a bit more grounded and actually has some real personality versus you know Elvira just being kind of an asshole. <laughs> um, and so it's just interesting where he's he even doesn't even pursue her that hard anymore in the original one. It's more I'm kind of in control and I'm doing right. I'm doing better for it. These are these imperfect relation relationships that both Tonys set up. Yeah. One that follows through and the other that doesn't, but they're still not. They're still not perfect. Yeah. It's this warped ver- version of love where it's not actually love. It's again, the world is yours, taking what they want. Everything. He wants Elvira. He wants Poppy. He, they're trying to get it. In one case, he succeeds; the other, he fails. But yeah. that's all it is. It's mo- it's all just you know trophy mark. It's it's more things to have. Yeah. And then parallel to that, his partner in both cases <laughs> actually gets with Tony's sister. Yep. And Cheska slash Gina, mm-hmm. and that is love. They actually do love each other. And that's immediately broken. <laughs> and I think part of Tony's reaction to that, which I guess maybe that's jumping ahead there, because there is a time skip between there. Which we can get into here in a second, just yeah, the difference of but, the time skips. But I think Tony's reaction to, in one case, Guino, in the other case, Manny, 
they're going out with Tony's sister. And actually getting married. Yeah, getting married. Part of that is Tony being protective of his sister. But part of that, I think, probably is that spurned sort of feeling. Like, I don't want you to be... It's like, you're my underling, and you've gotten something that I... I can't get. Yeah, you've gotten some genuine stuff here. How well, dare you? Yeah, like, even in the case where Montana was able to marry Elvira, he's like, end, I, I got Elvira, but I didn't get happiness. You got happiness. Like, I want it. Yeah, exactly. The world is mine, yeah. not yours. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm taking it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like... Which, and then it goes, it kind of goes into, like, a weird degree of that with the Montana version, where it's, like, his sister kind of straight up gets, like, seductive and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, um, one thing I definitely want to touch on, because it's just, it's a big pet peeve of mine in the new one versus the old one, is just the difference in the, you know, like, there's a period of time in both movies where Tony leaves town for a while, and that's where... Manny slash Guino gets with his sister and they get married. Yeah. In the original version, the 1932 version, it's... I don't, I, I'm sure there's some specified reason, but it wasn't terribly important. He just has to get out of town for a while, and then he comes back after, uh, like, a scene or two. And we don't actually see where he goes. Versus in the 83 version, it's an entire long thing where it starts off, you know, Montana is busted in a sting. Is <laughs> They go to New York to kill this... To assassinate this journalist, um, Tony ends up, you know, just shooting the guy who's, like, in a blow of his car that also has the, the, the journalist's car who also has his family in him. Because Tony's like, no kids! Bam! <laughs> and it's like... Which, to be to be fair, that character is hilarious. That character is hilarious. For the short time that he is actually on screen doing things, that character is great. Yeah, like, no English word spoken. This is all in, I presume, it's either Spanish or Portuguese. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, and I can't, I, I genuinely don't know what the language was spoken in Bolivia, but, you know, I apologize for my lack of South American geographic knowledge. But it's just, and it goes on and on with this whole long bit, and it's all to establish, it's all to start setting up the ending. So, like, this, um, it's all just to kind of set up this, um, the big, you know, the big climactic ending that everybody knows, but obviously I'll get to that, versus... Mm -hmm. In the original, it's he's just kind of gone to set up the murder that he will eventually commit against, you know, he'll eventually murder Guino for going out with his sister. Whereas, when you kind of think about him murdering Manny in the new one, doesn't actually directly spur anything, it's more just to kind of show how much his life is breaking down at this point. Right. How immediately it's, it's just going, it's going to crap. Mm. Whereas it's the actual, the inciting action for the ending in the original. Yeah. Um... Which you know, I kind of, which I guess kind of leads us into the big, you know, into the into the big ending scenes for both. But um, but yeah, that kind of that does lead us into you know the big insane endings in both cases, or in all three cases. Again, we'll get to that. Um, where in the original one, it's just he murders Guino, and that's immediately what implicates him is like finally the definitive thing that the cops are like oh we can pin this on this is something we directly know there were witnesses he did this he did this <laughs> let's go get him as he you know goes up to his somewhat fortress-like apartment yeah <laughs> which it doesn't really it doesn't end up being that useful like he has a couple mm. guns he brings his sister obviously after having murdered her husband <laughs> i like the fact that ben guarino inspector ben guarino ben guarino oh my god gets to come back into the picture <laughs> yeah finally <laughs> after so long such an important character yep 
and it's like it finally just kind of establishes you know the police are here they're gonna take him down versus you know 83 it's this whole long setup for sosa to have an excuse to go after um to go after montana which directly correlates to him not killing the journalist. The, the journalist in New York. Yeah. He's like, you didn't do this, I'm coming for you. Yeah, you got, like, they found the bomb that was under the car, now he has more security, I'm screwed, so I'm gonna screw you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he just sends all these people afterwards, right after he murders Manny, and has, a, you know, brings his sister and, you know, drugs her all, to all high heavens. Mm. You know. <laughs> Which, that being, like, that being said, the setup is garbage, but the ending for the Brian De Palma one... Yeah. Some of those shots and just the that grand was, oh, scale yeah. feeling of things like is great. Yeah, say what you want about as much of that movie. There's a very good reason that that action scene is still, you know, still widely known and seen as just in, as a masterpiece alone. It is great. <laughs> it is insane. I love it. Just the just it just there are a few movies that really go all out for action scenes the way this one does, and I'm really happy it did. It's it's really satisfying. It's a very satisfying ending to a movie that's already insane. It's just wow. Which it, it it's so action packed and going to the thirties one. It's just sad. It's so pathetic. In my comparison, Angelo gets shot through the door like uh, bloodily. Like like saunters up the steps to answer the phone. He's he, he finally gets it right. That's a gag throughout the whole movie. He can't answer the phone right. He finally does yeah. it, and then he he goes, "Boss, I did it." And, and then, then he collapses. falls down dead. And like <laughs> and 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 Kamante barely even you know registers it. He picks up the phone. And is like, "Oh hey, Poppy." <laughs> It's like, hey, Poppy. He's like in shock. Yeah, he doesn't even say anything. Because he's lost all of this, like, this psychotic nature. He, like, like we said, he's made that switch. He's starting to realize everything's catching up with him. And he has people to take care of. And he's not taking care of them. He's like, yeah, I'm responsible for all this. This is, this is a nightmare. Like, he has his sister in the apartment and all. And, like, I think, you know, brought her after straight up shooting her husband in front of her. Yeah. And, you know, like, eventually, right after, you know, he gets that phone call. He just starts breaking down. He tries to run out the back door, but they're coming up that way. So he's like, that's when he just like, just straight up snaps at that point. He just starts screaming. It's like, I can't get into this place. It's a fortress. And then that immediately is taken from him. Everything gets lost. It's just insane. Like some, like some magical bullet makes its way into the apartment and hits and kills his sister. You know, they have a really, like, they have a really <laughs> sad, touching last moment as she, you know, bleeds out from a stomach wound. And it's like, you know, there's tear gas gets thrown into the into the room. He's like, he's calling out to the names of all the dead people he's been trying to help. It's like, Angelo, Jessica, where are you? It's like, Guido. It's just like, oh. Little boy. Little, uh, little boy, he calls, yeah. he calls Angelo, yeah. Or Guino. Or Guino, sorry. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's so beautiful even even mm-hmm. if you're talking about the lead up with cheska oh yeah because the every time you see her with her mother that's the that's the mother that's mama camante's whole deal mm-hmm. is you're ruining you're ruining that girl you're gonna turn her wicked like you yeah she's gonna be bad like you and then that's the ending she's like we're going out together and and like you kind of see this build up between you know in both movies where you see her, the sister at the club and like where she's just macking on some random dude it's like you start to see it but then it right. builds up to the end where it's like you know we're in this together she really has kind of come to his side mm-hmm. at least briefly 
At least we kind of left that. See, now we're talking about this because now there's a difference. Now that there's yeah. an importance. Her, the sister we we sort of mentioned has an impact on Tony's character, like protective or whatever, and mm. going out with Tony's second man, yeah. second in command. But they're they're pretty much just the same character in both movies. Actually, they're, they're really not. If you remember in the very beginning, they have a pretty harsh relationship in the very first scene they're with, like. You know, she, like, his sister, um, Chesco wants to be in the life that that uh, Tony has at that time. She's mm -hmm. like, why can't I go out and do these things like you're doing? It's like, shut up, you stay with mama. And, like, that sort of stuff. Yeah, Versus, and in the and then the Brian De Palma one, he, he's they have more, a like, much, trying to give money. and Like, they have a much more, like, a much, you know, better relationship. Until the club scene. And Until the club scene. I think that's built, I think that's him trying to build it up because the movie's so long and they put so much exposition into it. I think it's a product of that. Yeah. Like, like he's trying, trying to establish to, it. Yeah. And then it's also, and then it's just straight up, it's almost kind of, it's almost kind of a mirrored relationship that they actually have it's, it's another it's another personality swap i just realized it's you know she starts off harsh not liking him that much that in the 30s one ends up you know ride or die yeah and emphasis on the die even even after like, the death of guino yeah her husband like even it like goes ride or die with it at the end versus in the 80s version she's super like they have a super close relationship and then by the end, she goes like, you know, drug crazy, is basically trying to <laughs> seduce him, tries to shoot him, and then gets shot herself. It's like, what the, what? <laughs> She's gonna be with Manny now. Yeah. And in that drug-fueled heaven. Talking, and, and going back to that, I don't know, Paul Mooney's breakdown in the 30s, Scarface, is beautiful. Oh, Just yeah, in how he's like, waiting like, for these characters, he's so, he's sad, he tries to escape, but he sees what's happening. But you go to the Al Pacino one, he has... Like, like we said, he's psychotic now. He yeah. has no remorse. There's, like, a slight thing where he he mourns Manny. Like, he mourns killing Manny as he's doing coke. I don't buy it. Yeah, I, no. It doesn't feel right to me. I think that could have been left out of the movie and it'd still be the same thing. Yeah, like, he barely seemed affected by it. And, like, I, and I didn't mean And it mean doesn't give... affect our perception of him either. Yeah. I didn't mean to give, the, like, you know, the, the, the 30s one obviously isn't meant to be this big action-packed thing. It builds it yeah. up to kind of be, but I think that's almost the point. It's like he's built up this whole big arsenal and everything, but then he immediately realizes, my God, this is horrible. I've done terrible things. My family, my friends, they're gone at my hand in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And versus in the new one, he's just like, I'm, he, he, he went crazy to the end. <laughs> he says the famous quote and it's like, say hello grenade to, launchers a door. Say hello to my minuscule friend. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it goes crazy which is you know i like both these movies so much for their each respective endings you know the original one which i suppose i should finally say it at this point the original one does actually have two endings yes it's you know probably want to go into that at least a little bit but there are two ending cuts one of which at the end of you know Camante runs down the stairs and gets cornered by um guarino by guarino and basically gives himself up but then immediately runs past him out into the street and a police officer sees him running and shoots him and guns him down. And that's the end. It has him lying on the ground. Yeah. And it, the closing shot is literally just the shot of the world is yours. The world yours. is yours outside of the apartment. It goes it's, up to it, it. Like, it. It leans up to it, then it straight cuts to just a hard, just straight frame of the sign. And then it just yeah. fades and ends. Yes. But then there's the secondary ending, which you, you mentioned before, uh, when we were talking, before we started recording, 
it yeah, was um, so so quick quick sidebar story time for this i'll yes. i'll do it as quickly as possible uh howard hawks's original ending this whole the whole point of this movie they even frame it at the beginning with the text on the screen <laughs> it's it is a it is a message against the criminal empire the underground that has been that was running rampant at the time so it's supposed to be anti that that's the whole purpose of the movie yeah like this was in the middle of like you know you know the end of prohibition and everything where organized crime really right really took off in america it's and like, and yeah. when howard hawks was done they didn't feel that the end that the ending to the movie actually accurately captured any sort of uh, right, like the original comeuppance yeah. for Tony's character for Tony Camante's character. There, so they wanted a new one. So he made a second one. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one being he gets trialed. There's a judge on screen for like two minutes talking about what he did. Like we never actually see Tony again, or like Tony's actor yeah. after this point. Like you see him walked out the door by Guarino, but after that we just see. The judge talking like to, to Camante, but really he's talking to the American people like about organized crime. Right, and you see the gallows. Like you see just these three guys doing like the you know, like the three guys like cut these strings and then straight up hang him. Like and you don't even see the hanging. The last shot is them cutting the strings and then it fades out. And then looking away, sort of. Yeah, just being like, it's it's so strange, but in a way I kind of love it because mm -hmm. <laughs> like I think for the tone I think it works out a bit better. Right. But I think cinematically, it very much is better when he's yeah, right. just shot in the street. Like, that's but, a better ending shot. But to sort of summarize the story, or else be like, well, why didn't they go with that ending? Uh, yeah. He showed that, he, he showed the, the final product with the secondary ending to them. They didn't like that one either. So he said, okay, <laughs> screw it. I'm going back with the first ending. And instead, he just subtitled the movie The Shame of a Nation. <laughs> to like to hammer home that you are not supposed to be sympathizing with this character that yeah. he is the bad guy yeah like he goes he out would on have his been own tried term. he goes out on his own terms and everything so it's just like yeah. yeah he would have been tried had he not been shot dead in the street yeah so like so that was i felt like that was pretty interesting but right. then let's juxtapose that to the <laughs> holy oh my god ending that is the 1983 version. Al Pacino standing at the top of his Mount Olympus, a god, taking bullets and <laughs> not dying. Literally standing over a model of the world that says, the world is yours. At the center of this massive, just, just, like, excessive mansion. Even for the time period, this mansion was excessive. Velvet red on everything. It's just, that's crazy. I love this final shot. I love it. It's so... <laughs> Just, I don't care. It's like, it's a director going, hey, like, it's, imagine, you know, Brian De Palma at any point, someone came up to him and was like, don't you think this is a bit much for the ending? And he would go, no, get out of my office. <laughs> How dare you speak? Get out of my office! <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Okay, 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 jeez, man, fine. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just crazy. He's finally done in. <laughs> yep. In like, the... In, Tony Montana done in by a shot to the back from a spy. From some, like... He's wearing glasses. He kind of looks like, uh... Uh, he died recently. Oh. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not, I said From that. Twin Peaks and Robocop. Anyways. <laughs> I'm not gonna look it up. Yeah, it's but, but it's just... It's just so... Freaking crazy. Like, you know... It's like... in just that final shot is as if to say it's like, you know... 
anyone that's looking, like anyone that really sees the self that I'm showing the world, like from the front, I'm bulletproof. But the moment you get behind me, you get underneath my life, you realize, oh, I'm a weak man. <laughs> I'm a very weak man that immediately gets just basically shotgunned in half. Right. And just, you know, bleeds out in a pool. Like, and that is the perfect way to sort of end that. Oh, it's... And, and, those, and those character arcs, because for Howard Hawks' 1932 Scarface, yes. you go all throughout the movie, even with him working his way up to the top, he's losing more and more until in the end he has nothing and he's dead in the street. Yeah. There's no glory in it. He is just gone. Like, he, he ends running away. It's, yes. It's just, it's sad and it's just... <laughs> it's, it's practically depressing. Brian De Palma Scarface 1983, oh he progressively gains more and more. Even with losing people, he gains more from them being dead than he would have with them alive. Just... Until in the end he's dead, but in his mansion, in a pool, inside his house, no, in a fountain, inside his house no less. Even the way he dies, it's the best possible death you could have. Right. It's I died on my I died getting shot on my feet and I fell as the world watched. <laughs> Literally watched he fell in front of the globe. The world was just <laughs> the world was an audience to just this slaughter as he was running it all. And in both cases, the world is yours, actively present at the death scene. Yes. It didn't matter where it was present for the rest of the film, it's there for the end. Yeah. And that's the final shot As of both, in both cases. Just, this is just a, either way, it's a, it's, you know, the best way to describe the two compared, manic versus depressive. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah. But I think for what it is, like, if you really look at what it is, just this, crazy meant to be this manic journey of this guy's insane life it's amazing it's just it's so entertaining it's it's loud it's fast it's everything i love about you know movies of the 80s and a lot of the stuff i hate of those movies in the 80s right. as well just the just the fact of the style of it's just so insane mm -hmm. at a certain point i have to go okay chill <laughs> that's the thing i wonder because I wish it was more compressed. It is yeah. two hours and fifty minutes, oh. almost the three-hour movie. That's the length of like a third of the Lord of the Rings. It's so, it's it, so long, and they add so much stuff that the like you know. And I don't like going on. It's like oh, it did so many things wrong versus the original one. It's fine to do stuff from different from the other one, but it yeah, took so long to set up. And I'm wondering, some stuff. I'm wondering if that's. I'm wondering if padding was put in there and some slow moments were put in there to pad out the movie. Not to pad out the movie, but they did pad out the movie. Oh yeah. They did I wonder if those. I wonder if those were there to directly contrast how chaotic and fast-paced other scenes were. Because maybe. if the movie was more condensed, maybe it would have been so non-stop people couldn't watch it. They're like, this is just too much. I can't. True, but I'm wondering. Same, but at the same time, I don't think you know making the movie extremely long by 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 association by doing that. I don't think that helps. I'm I don't just, think it's a good answer. I was but... tired by the end of watching that movie. Yeah. When we watched it together, I was just exhausted. And then, of course, you know, I, and I, I think between the two, I definitely like the original one more. Uh, me, me too. For very, for various reasons, I do, I do like them both. Yeah. And there are plenty of instances mm. where uh, I think that the Brian De Palma one handled things better than the original one, which I think oh, yeah. we went, I think we went over in this. I think uh, in a lot of, in a weird way, it kind of had a more realistic uh, approach to organized crime, at least in that era, like the, right. that time period. And you know, that 
you know, part of the world. Um, right, because it, it's it's definitely closer, so that could also have an effect on it. Like we didn't we didn't grow up close to that time, exactly. so and it's like we don't have repercussions from it. And I do kind of like, in certain ways, you know, the original one very much is kind of very glorifying, you know, the police system and that sort of thing to try to say like, oh, you know, it's, you know, the organized crime is terrible. Whereas this one kind of, whereas the 83 version very much goes, yeah, a lot of the world is messed up, including the cops. Yeah. But it's, this is more the story of how even within the world of crime, these guys aren't honorable. They're right. backstabbing each other, doing all sorts of terrible things. And it, you can actually view that as taking the the world is yours to a new place because all of these people, the world is theirs. There's yeah. cops on the take. They're taking it for themselves. The Bolivian drug cartel, that's a different part of the world yeah. that's playing by those rules. Mm-hmm. You get to see the lasting effects of that quote. It doesn't just drive Tony. It drives everybody. Yeah. And you can see how, how this negatively is impacting the world. Not the quote itself, but people's... Right. greed and drives to have what they don't have yeah it's very much kind of you know like the idea of you know money doesn't buy happiness you know it's meant to mean in your pursuit of success don't forget the good things it's not you need money <laughs> <laughs> like the, the subtitle for the brian De Palma one should have been the world is shameful oh yeah oh yeah that's, that's pretty good actually. scarface the world is shameful yeah the shame of the world <laughs> the shame that is the world <laughs> Oh, but like, and even with all that, it's, I think it like under the surface, there's a deeper message. I think if the movie did itself a little bit more seriously, it would, I would rank it a little bit higher. Like, you know, it's ridiculous and I love it for it, but I feel like with a message that it has, it could have done a bit better. Right. And that's why I do like the original one more. It's, it's more condensed. It's more very character based in a way. It's, it's just a better quality film in my opinion. It's just, it's subtle in ways but it's also creepy and and like especially Mm -hmm. with how Camante would act in you know the first half I think I think that the 80s one handles the message and it handles the Mm. I think I I actually think it it doesn't handle characters better but I think it handles character relationships better yeah the way that they interact with each other is a lot more realistic Mm. Uh, but if we're talking about theming oh yeah then (laughs) and if we're talking about cinematic like how it's made, then yes, I would go with the Howard Hawks one. Something we didn't bring up, but that I'd like to point out yeah. is the push it to the limit montage. <laughs> very eighties. We talked about it's <laughs> we talked about that. It's very eighties. It's it's yeah. it shows the passage of time and shows what's happening. I, I understand that. But if you did that in a modern movie, yeah. it's a, it would be a parody of that right. scene. But in this case they did it legit. <laughs> now compare that to the passage of time they do in the Howard oh. Hawks one, which is Tony Camante firing a Tommy gun over a calendar, and every time a every time a bullet is fired, a page rips off the calendar. So it's just a calendar rapidly flipping as he as he fires this gun. It's it's beautiful. It's one of the best transition shots I've ever seen. <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere as well because, like you know, it's a good film. It's talking about like it's like a very very well made film, and then this this one little shot just comes out of nowhere. It's like this is just very high quality, right? It, it, it instead of just. This is what's happening through the passage of time. It's it's, like, it's showing the time pass it, getting it out of the way. It's like time has passed while also showing you he hasn't stopped doing what he's doing in this time. Yeah. He is still gun-toting around, sh- shooting people and running a crime scene instead of like a, a, a minute and a half montage to uh, to a ballad. Yeah. 
Um, Final yeah. thoughts. Uh, both films get across their message very well. Mm-hmm. I think both do. I think both do a good job in their respective right. Yep. If I had to pick a favorite between them, then it would be the third 1932 Scarface, just because I like how subtle and underplayed and shadowy it is. Oh yeah. But you've got to admire Al Pacino's oh. over-the-top acting. I, Al Pacino, like, what, a, what a nutcase of a man. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's, yeah, I do love, I do love the messages in both of them. You know, the original one, it's very, it's very by-the-book kind of thing. But again, this is a movie that defined the gangster genre. It's cold, it's dark, it's subtle, it's everything it's everything I love, like in a good film, and the films of that era, especially. And the new one is crazy. It's exotic. It's off the wall in all the best ways, and that's what I love about movies from that era. But just me as a cinephile, I just—it's so much better made in the 1930s one. Mm-hmm. It's so like attentive to detail, and the acting is on—it's just spot on all the time. And whereas you know all the times where Al Pacino loses the Cuban accent <laughs> in the in the new one, it's just like he kind of like huh. <laughs> he kind of forces through it by doing the really like, talking to my teeth sort of thing, where it's like kind of gets away with it. He's clearly just not able to do the accent. Yeah, but it's it's I still love it. But yeah, the the original one's definitely the best and deserving of you know number six on that whatever list that, that was. afi top 10 gangster films and i you know I, I feel shameful that i didn't know about it before but now i do Thanks, now you do uh, thankfully for you know making this show and now maybe you guys know yeah you know, if you haven't checked it out it's so worth the worth check the them look. both out they're they're both uh, they're both easy to find obviously the 80 80s one's easy to find but so is the so is the 30s one you can pick them up both easily dvd yeah, if you really want uh, a movie that defined the gangster genre, at least the American gangster genre, the original Scarface is top notch. Mm-hmm. It's just it's one it's easily one of the best films of the decade. With the, with the kind of clout it carries, the thirty ones pro the thirties ones probably on a uh, Blu Ray too. Probably just it it it, it carries that. Uh, and if not, then Criterion will have it. Yeah, I'm sure it's a it's a it's a bookmark someone's gonna have it somewhere of course you can easily find these and <laughs> this is a perfect time to mention that with this framework uh we can we will do a follow-up episode later on when the cohen brothers scarface Whoa! comes out yes that is at time, at time of recording you know that is still in the works the cohen brothers are working on the next remake of scarface apparently going to be set once again in chicago this time they'll be going back to the original is I it? thought I thought it was set in L.A. Sorry, LA. I think it's set in it. L- I think it's set in L.A. and it's Mexican. Right, right, right. That's I it. Think. Yeah. So, but there's not a lot of details on it. So I'm really hoping it's going to have elements of both. It has the kind of the political stance that you could have with the newest one, but it also has a bit more of the more of the harsher edge to it that the original one has because you know L.A. is hard freaking core when it comes to crime. Right. It's 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 in the same. It's in the. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's got that old city vibe while mm-hmm. also retaining that. Yeah. Whereas Miami is basically just coastal. Yeah, exactly. Vibe too. And the very you know very much you know immigrant. I think we can get a good mixture there. Yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful for that. Right. That being said, uh, that's the end of this for this first episode of They Remade It. You can consider this a sort of pilot episode, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we really wanted to pick one show that one movie that really kind of is the really good framework for a remake. Yeah. It's the hardcore 
it's basically the same movie, but let's see how it changed. It encaps it encapsulated what we're what we're setting out to do with this mm-hmm. with this podcast from the get go. And uh, if you like it, uh, please rate yes. rate and comment and review on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Yeah, we'll not sure where it'll be framed. Or if you hated it, leave that too. I don't really care. Yeah, give us some uh, criticism. We probably won't listen to it, but still. <laughs> We don't care about your stupid opinions. Okay, well, <laughs> I do. I respect them. I, I generally take them to heart. So you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the stable Tony. I'm the crazy Tony. That's yes. So, I don't care about your stupid opinions. I'm Paul Mooney, <laughs> and I'm Al Pacino. <laughs> and this has been they remade it. <laughs> Come back next time, man. Thanks for listening. Manny, look at this pelican fly. Come on, pelican. <laughs>